Dennis Prager here. If you have a business or real estate dispute, I strongly recommend that you call Barack Lurie. Barack, you had a client who had opened up a food operation in a shopping center, but the landlord had misrepresented the amount of foot traffic that your client would get. Yeah, Dennis, and very quickly my client felt the impact, losing a tremendous amount of money each month. He had invested $250,000 in improvements into the business. All right, how did you resolve that one? It turns out that the shopping center was about to be sold, so we waited for just the right moment before the sale because we knew the landlord would not want to have to disclose this major lawsuit. Suddenly, he's settled for a lot of money. Sometimes you have to know how to time your luck. Well, that's another real success. Folks, I trust Barack Lurie with my own legalities. Call him at 866-575-8111. That's 866-575-8111. Fighting for what's right, Barack Lurie at Lurie and Seltzer. 866-575-8111. And now listen to the Barack Lurie Show Sunday mornings at 10 a.m. here on AM870, The Answer. With me, my good friend and producer, Ari David, always a pleasure. Um, you know, it, it, I want to start off today with a, uh, a little, I don't know if it's a joke, but it's a, uh, it's a cute little anecdote uh, story that, that you sometimes hear. So there's this guy who is uh, looking very busily for something at a streetlight. This is a streetlight in a rural town, and it's the only streetlight around. And um, another man sees this man looking for something. And he comes up to him and says, oh, uh, you, you look like you're looking for something. Did you lose something? And the man says, yes, I, I lost my car keys. And, uh, oh, so you, you just dropped them, apparently? It's just, you know, right here? Is that, is that why you're looking for them? He goes, no, no, I, I, my car keys are somewhere near my car. Uh, that's about two blocks away. And the other man says, well, why aren't you looking for them near your car? And the other man says, well, because this is where the light is, right? So I always liked that joke. I thought it was very funny. It's kind of a, a Woody Allen-ish type joke, I suppose. But it also reflects how we, as people, sometimes only seek answers in, in what we can readily see, what, what's, what appears to be the obvious, where the answers are clearly uh, somewhere else. Let me give an example of one, one of the things that I, thought, I found so fascinating where people just didn't look to obvious things. One of, the, uh, one of the things that in the Moses story, the story of Exodus, they, they say there's no proof whatsoever that the, the Exodus story ever happened. Okay? And, you know, what do they do? They, they go to the, the Red Sea, and they kind of send some boats around, and they look down below to see if there's any chariots and such like that, but they don't really look very carefully. And then they proclaim that there's no evidence of that. It's a little bit like looking, going back to looking for car keys, for example. If you, if you were to look at the top of your house, your, on your roof of your house for your car keys, that's not a logical place to, to look for them, right? But you can look at them, and you can look at the roof and try to search for your car keys, and then, of course, you won't find it there. And you can say, there are no car keys, right? Well, that's not, it's a stupid place to look. You need to look at a place where it's realistic. And likewise, in the Exodus story, they just didn't look anywhere 
where there, were, there was likely to be the answer. And we now have the answer. There, there are, in the pyramids themselves, there are hieroglyphics uh, showing Egyptians being drowned <laughs> and, and uh, being chased away. It's, it, there are very strong hints to the Exodus story. And uh, there's pictures of a sea being parted. Yes, exactly right. But, but we can't look there. That, that would be a lousy place to find evidence of the Exodus, right? But why not? The, the enemy itself, which is the Egyptians, they were portraying the story. Don't you think that's a good indication that at least they had a story that's similar to what, what have, it's evoked by the, the Exodus story? But no, they're looking for, you know, an actual, um, you know, rod of, of, of Moses, you know, the one that actually is right, right near the Red Sea. And here's the rod and, uh, and, and, you know, some fingerprints of Moses, perhaps, you know. And they're probably looking for a little... Moses was here. Right. A little tourist <laughs> plaque that says, on this site. Yeah, exactly. <laughs> right. yeah. That, then they might be able... 3,000. Right. That's right. Here. Yeah. Take a photo. <laughs> That's right. I guess it did happen. Anyway, so they don't look at the, the, the realistic places. And, and this is true not only in our personal lives. You know, we, te- we tend to try to resolve problems in, in ways that we only know how. We, we, uh, for example, you know, let's take weight as a problem, for example. Okay, people, uh, obese people in particular, okay, they will look at their problem which is that they're obese, and they'll try to fix it by changing their pituitary glands or something, okay? Whatever will change their metabolism. Instead of the somewhat more difficult task of understanding calories and how they work and understanding what foods to eat as opposed to, you know, the, the garbage food that they are eating. And we talked about this before. They're starving for nutrients and such. But the people looked only to what they know, Okay. And it's, it's true in so many of the things we do. Um, sometimes we, we're, we, we tend to not understand what is motivating something. So, and men and women are very, very similar in this way. Sorry, very different in this way where a man will try to resolve a problem in a certain way and a woman will not. And the man will look toward his own way of, of responding to the problem and not realizing that he's insulting the woman uh, not reaching the woman at all. She, this is not the problem as, as far as she sees it. He's not going to fix the problem with a capital P unless he kind of works hard at it and figures out what the actual solution is. Now, this, this also extends further. It goes into more, more of the big issues of the day. What do I mean by that? Let's use a, a classic example first. Um, for example, the problem of uh, dealing with the, the so-called problem of people not making enough money and not earning enough and trying to be above the poverty line. Okay. So the first thing that most people think about Ari is? The how to give people more money via the minimum wage or the government solution. There you go. Minimum wage is the answer. Yes. Okay. That's the first thing. And then the, the, the debate is how high should it be the minimum wage, how low should it be, and we're going to fight about the minimum wage as if, as if that's the only answer. Right? They, they don't think for a moment that it could be anything else. Nothing else. And ironically, their living wage or minimum wage always seems to just be going up. Yeah. It, even when the economy finally recovers, they never say, you know what? Everyone's doing well. Let's drop it now. Yeah. We don't need that, that high anymore. That's right. And, and it, by the way, it should be the reverse, right? When, it, when things are really good, that's when you increase the minimum wage. And when they're down, 
that's when you decrease the minimum wage. But that's another story. If you want to make things bad, right. you do. Yeah, right. good point. <laughs> good point. Now, but perhaps the answer, just perhaps, is not at the compulsion of the employer to pay a certain sum per hour. Perhaps, just perhaps, it involves something different. Uh, perhaps it could be, for example, not only lowering the minimum wage, but, um, but encouraging more and more innovation uh, by employers and otherwise, and encouraging them to hire as many people as possible, uh, possible instead. Okay? Not having payroll tax, for example. One of the most bizarre taxes I, I think I can ever even think of, the payroll tax, that I should pay. And it, it, you know, my employees are, are paying their own taxes, right? I give them a W-2. Uh, so if I pay somebody, let's say, uh, $100,000 a year, he pays taxes on that, right? Okay. But it turns out I'm paying taxes on it too. Not just on my Social Security, the payroll taxes. I'm paying a tax for the, for the right and the privilege to employ that person. Do you see how crazy this is? Well, the even worse one, and I, I don't know exactly how this one works, but I've heard stories, is the unemployment tax. Oh, I love that. When you fire someone or something happens and they no longer work for you, they go to the government to collect unemployment, and then you have to pay a higher rate of tax on that. And whether they come off unemployment or not, your rate never goes down. It's, it, 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 it's so it, insane. It's insane. And so, so it's just not – let's talk about the incentives, though. The, the incentives right. are that we want to encourage people to be employed, right? So the, the more the employer – can keep, so to speak, the more he can give to that employer, employee, right? Isn't that the whole point? You would think. Right. So the more you take out of the employer, the less he has available to hire many different employees, or for that matter, even the same amount of employees, the less he has to pay them in the way of bonuses and, or higher hourly rates or whatever. And they don't, they don't get this. So perhaps if you really want to increase everyone's hourly rate, maybe what you need to do is just leave people alone, and they will actually increase competition. And if you do that, well, then employers will compete against each other uh, to, to get the best people. And, and, that, and that applies even to the, to, to the very unskilled, the, the burger flippers, like we talked about from McDonald's and Burger King and other places like that. So that's the first thing that races to your mind, right? And so, but they still, you know, even McDonald's wants the best people. They don't want people who are are not dedicated to their job. They want people that have a sense of a purpose in their lives, that want to you know, grow, grow their careers and otherwise. So let's pay them a little bit more. Well, that's not good enough because, because Burger King is stealing them away. Okay, we'll pay them even more to, to retain them. That's the way it works. You see, the, comp the competition uh, in, in America is more than sufficient to ensure that people get an hourly wage. That, that is livable, to use their phrase. And, and here's my point. How is it that if, if you're a proponent of the minimum wage, how do you explain all these people, all these businesses that pay far more than the, the minimum wage? Far more, right? I mean, my, the, the, the attorney that I just mentioned who makes $100,000 a year, he's making much more than the $750 or $775 minimum wage that California requires. So much more, right? So Why? Why shouldn't I just be paying him 775 and telling him to be, to be happy with him? Here's why. Because he'll leave. That's why. It's basic competition. I know if I don't pay him the 100000 he's going to go somewhere else. That might pay him more. 
that it, it's so basic. People don't, they never factor in the possibility of competition. The whole minimum wage argument pretends as if competition doesn't exist. And it pretends as if there's no freedom in existence, as if that employee is oh, not yes. free to leave. Yeah. It assumes, maybe it's the leftist dream, that the person has no freedom to work where he chooses, i.e. slavery, mm. yeah. which our friends on the left always rail against. And if, if there is no of that kind of slavery, then, of course, the person is free to seek the highest dollar yeah. amount. But you see, this is what we're talking about, folks. We're talking about street light thinking, right? Yeah. This is where the light is. This is what we can see. And so this is how we're going to address the problem. We're going to look here, even though it's not, there's no way the answer can lie here, but it's the first thing you think about. And they do it on every issue. Every I think issue. you made a whole list. Yeah. It's, it's the issue is always the government must solve and then just fill in the problem. Gun right. control, drug control, education, minimum wage, uh, yeah, let's, know, healthcare. Let's, yeah, let's, let's start. Okay, it's every, every issue. Yeah. The well, let's, let's start off with healthcare it. because that's a good one because it's very much in the, in the ballpark. Look, uh, when people talk about, wow, uh, costs are spiraling out of control. Healthcare, right? What do we do? Well, we're going to have this system called Obamacare now, and ultimately a, a single payer program, and uh, that's going to somehow minimize costs. and And then you you ask somebody, well, don't you think this is going to be disastrous? And the the first answer they they say is, well, what else can we do? I mean, what other solution is there? We have to do something. Is what they generally say. Well, when say we, you mean the government has to do something. Yeah, yeah, I mean the government. Okay, so... And, well, and, when they say we, they generally mean you. That's right, yeah. You will have to uh, do that's it true. Good at, point. The, at gunpoint from the government. Yeah. But, but that's, again, streetlight thinking. The government will take care of it. If there's a problem, the solution is the government will force you at gunpoint, as you say. Well, not necessarily, literally at gunpoint, but they will create a dynamic where everyone has to participate, and this is the solution, and if it, can, if it continues to not seem to work, well, then you just you, you force people more to pay into the system. You double down and then triple down into the system. Okay. Um, you, um, uh, here's another area, pollution. Okay, so you got a problem, pollution. Okay, what, what is the solution to pollution? The first answer that everyone will say, massive regulations. Regulate everything, okay? And uh, nobody can have so many parts per billion in the, in the sky. Um, they, they never contemplate an expert in the industry that actually knows something about this area. They just have legislators who know nothing about the area, and they decide what, how many parts per billion and so on. Okay. Um, so you, you have the EPA rules, and everything is thrust upon them, and then they say, look, we're doing a great job. Okay. Now, I was just talking to this uh, about this today. You know, the, the, the government had nothing to do with the decrease in pollution uh, throughout the United States, um, at least from cars. How do I say that with confidence? Because the one thing that did cause it to go down is competition. Okay, that's usually the best answer. I mean, that's the go-to answer first. For we conservatives, the go-to answer, the streetlight, not the streetlight answer, but where the keys actually are, is competition. That's the, the first place you should look, right? Just like when you, when you do lose your keys or your iPhone or something like that, right? The first thing you think about is, I think I left it somewhere in the house, right? You don't go to your neighbor's house to look for your, your keys. Where you didn't even go there. It could be there. I suppose a bird might have picked it up and then plopped it down into the neighbor's house. But no, you go into your house. And then you think, you know what? I was, I was nowhere upstairs all day today. 
I know that I was only downstairs, so the keys have to be downstairs somewhere. And you narrow it down like that. It's the same thing here. So our go-to answer is competition. We know that, generally speaking, it works, um, but that's the go-to that, that liberals will just have no idea about. They'll, their yeah, go-to general, answer... Not never. general. Always. Yeah. It always works. It, it always works, and uh, government never works. But the liberals' go-to answer is the streetlight answer, where things don't work at all, but by golly, we have to do it somewhere. We, we, we have to keep looking. The answer must be there. Or and we have to keep trying. Yeah. And, yeah. and, and like that man searching at the searchlight, at the uh, streetlight, he'll just keep on looking forever and ever, right? Uh, you know, all over the place. Even though we know the keys are not there, he will keep on looking at it. And then he'll invest in magnifying glasses. <laughs> he'll invest in infrared technology in order to continue to find the keys. But, of course, the keys are not there. It doesn't matter how many st studies you make to, to discover a minimum wage doesn't work. They, they will still force a way to make it work. Well, let's add one other layer upon the analogy, which I think even makes it clearer as far as our uh, philosophical opposition friends who believe in this solution set. The guy would search infinitely in the circle of light caused by the streetlight searching for a keys including when the sun comes up the next day ah. and there's light everywhere. And his answer, if you said to him, well, now there's light everywhere, yeah. why don't you search other places? Yeah, but this is where the, the light from the street light is. Right. <laughs> That's a good point. This is where it is yeah. and this is where it will be. This, this is, is where we've this always looked. This is the finite circle where it falls ah. and, the, like the, and the competition <laughs> or freedom or sunlight that you speak of will be gone in 12 hours anyway. Good point. He's not going to tell you that it's going to come up again 12 hours later, but... Right. And to you, to, to round out your analogy, because, um, and here's the analogy to, to actually, because we do have experience. We do have experience, for example, that uh, when conservative principles apply in New York City, for example, great things result, right? Yeah, the so ungovernable th city suddenly becomes magically yes, governable. That's our Gotham that city funny? actually is really governable, and it's a very pleasant place to live. And, uh, but, but they don't want to ever look back on that, because that was the sunlight. That was the day where the day was shining very beautifully, and you can actually find the real answers there. But no, no, no. You know, it's, uh, it's still got to be our way. It's because the government is always the right answer, because one day it'll still be dark, and we, we, we still won't be able to have any other solution. It's a good example. So we talked about pollution. How about global warming? Okay, now, neither you nor I believe in the, the notion that man is primarily responsible for the warming of the earth. Uh, never mind that it's not warming. Whatever they call it now, climate change, you know, I, I still can't keep up with, with their theories all the time. But let's say you believe in climate change and that man-made, it's man-made stuff that's going on. Yeah, man okay? behavior right. is causing something. Right. So naturally, the first order of business is that the government has to, you know, impose itself. And boy, talk about compulsion, right? I mean, at gunpoint, you know, and, and you have to get other countries involved and everything else. Okay. So the first thing they think about, of course, the streetlight is cars. We must stop the cars from on the road. You've got a carpool. You've got to take public transportation. You've got to get electric cars. You've got to get bicycles. Taxes on gasoline and price right. controls oh. that artificially inflate the price of the fuel. Exactly. exactly. Oh, no. God forbid we, people should be driving their cars. Never mind that just down the way, so to speak, in, in many rural areas are cows, hundreds of thousands of cows and other livestock that are emitting far more in the way of CO2 
by way of their noxious gases, shall we say, then all the cars combined, it's something like on the order of 10 times more if you put all the cars in the world together, or at least in America, for the same square area or whatever, animals are far more dangerous. The real answer, if you want to address it, is to stop eating meat. That's what it would be, okay? Or at least using that as your main function of, um, uh, as a major industry. Yeah, but if we stopped eating meat, the cows would just breed. See, if I ate all the meat, <laughs> there'd be no cows. <laughs> ah, uh, all right. <laughs> I'm, I'm going to try to follow you on this one. <laughs> I can't work under these conditions. Anyway, uh, you, you get the idea. So it's not, it, I mean, there's, a, there's an industry, the meat industry, would never, you would never touch it. And then it goes to the, it kind of dovetails into the next issue, which is the drought here in California. And, you know, the, the, there's so much wasted water feeding cows. I think you the mean, am- growing the plants you feed to the cows. You mean well, and so also washing right. the cows and and otherwise. I mean, they, there's a lot of wa- a lot of water involved in in making a one pound of of beef. So the equivalent of one pound of beef, uh, to the water necessary for one pound, okay, is the same as you flushing your toilet thirty times a day for like three years. It's insane. Okay, and and you tell they tell you you know if it's yellow keep it mellow and all that stuff right, they they tell you don't flush until you actually have to poop or whatever right, and I know that's a little bit gross but but the point is that they're asking you to do things that are, are literally a drop in the bucket literally, whereas just having one hamburger if if you've avoided that hamburger, that's where you really save the water, but people only focus on what they actually do see. So, and yes, it's, it's nice symbolically to not keep your faucet, water faucet on while you're brushing your teeth. I get that. But it's still just a drop in the bucket. Okay. So. Uh, and, and two, those three or four things you just eliminated, yeah. I think this is a, a really good sort of all-encompassing umbrella point on it. The, the, the streetlight that our liberal friends always look at hmm. is the streetlight of scarcity. And we're trying to say, no, broaden your horizons. Look into the streetlight of or the sunlight of abundance. Yeah. Shouldn't we have abundant water? Shouldn't we have abundant food or so that we have enough water to all these things? Shouldn't we have abundant solutions that are driven by the market so that we all have enough abundant freedom to make whatever choice we want? Right. Well, I like that. Instead of and just and privatize instead... Uh, everything that they have with regard to water or electricity for that matter. And you'll get lower prices and you'll get much more abundant supply by people who want to bring it in. And uh, not only that, but you'll have innovation to desalinate, uh, desalinate water and to otherwise redirect water in such a way that it's cheaper and cleaner. But when you, when you only have government involved, then they only think in terms of restriction. What's the expression if the government were to take over all the beaches, then soon would be running out of sand, right? Yes. Okay, that's a, that's a famous line. And, and that's all they can think about is they consume and they also restrict at the same time. Instead of thinking, as you say, expansively. Yeah, like, they never incentivize yeah. without a carrot and sick approach. There's never just a free incentivization, i.e., Mr. Lurie. 
We have business taxes. It's a necessary evil. But you know what? If you employ more than 20 people, your business tax drops. Right. Because you're employing people. If you can employ 100 people, you don't pay business taxes. Oh, I like that. Uh, yeah. I mean, it's because... Too, it's too easy, right? That's right? the whole point. It's because And doesn't they, that give even more income to the government as far as tax revenue by having all those people working paying taxes? Of course. Let's go back to water, though. I mean, we, we should have the ability... Just, again, thought experiment-wise... Uh, you know, one of the movies, uh, I think it was um, uh, Bugsy, the movie Bugsy, right? And there's a scene there where the Bugsy Malone character, played by Warren Beatty, uh, he, um, you see him out there, and he's just in the desert in Nevada, right? And he just kind of opens up his arms like this, and he just envisions it, right? And he just does it. He just says, I'm going to somehow bring uh, the infrastructure here and, of course, water. He arranges it. He doesn't wait for the government to tell him what to do. He just says, I'm going to find a way to get water there. And likewise, we need people in Los Angeles to be able to just kind of open up their arms and say, there's a demand for water, and I'm going to meet it. And I'm going to meet it my way. I'm going to find a way to get water from Colorado or from this state or that state. I'm going to pipe it in, and I'm going to de- offer a desalinization plant. And it's going to be culo dulo, right? And, and, and not only that, but I'm going to make sure that the the water that, uh, that we don't divert fresh water into the friggin' ocean for, for another reason. And I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to pay for that water so that I can sell it at a slightly higher amount and we'll have plenty of water. I love, the, I love your approach, Ari, which is to think expansively instead of restrictively. But again, the only focus on what, what the streetlight offers, which is, in this case, how are we gonna, it's a drought. How do we save water? Instead of saying, how do we bring in more water? Um, so... I want to go into another topics of this, which is because uh, it's so interesting. Another one is homelessness. Okay, so I'll never forget how I, I had uh, in Santa Monica there was a mayor who was running on his campaign was how to deal effectively with the homeless problem because in Santa Monica homelessness is a it's a serious issue. It's a lovely area. I love it. We own some properties there, and. I, but there's there's a serious homeless problem there. Now, there's some history to that because they've always been open open arms to the homeless. So And they don't enforce uh, vagrancy laws and, and otherwise. So surprise, surprise, a lot of people understand that Santa Monica is is friendly toward homeless. And if you're friendly toward the homeless, you'll get more homeless there. Surprise. Yeah. And it also and, doesn't have the weather of Juneau, Alaska, unfortunately. Right. Which, no. So it's friendly in, in many respects, is, yes. you know, from, but not just from a weather point of view, but from, from a cultural point of view. And then, so, so the mayor runs on an election campaign of how to deal with the homeless, and his solution? Well, we're going to build buildings so we can house these homeless people. And, and <laughs> so what, what do you think happened? You know, so everyone got news. Hey, there's going to be uh, free apartments and such like that. So more homeless people came in. As if, as if the world would stay static. Talk about static thinking, right? They, they would nothing would change. Just the existing homeless people would would now have free housing, and everything will just be hunky dory. You know, never, never mind if it's expensive the taxpayer and so on. But of course, they just flooded more people there. So it, it, now we have a worse homeless problem than ever. But talk about streetlight thinking. So the, and, and the better answer and a more difficult solution, but because it, it, it forces you to think, is you need to enforce the vacancy laws. You need to 
to, uh, to, to enforce property rights for that matter. You can't just have people sleeping in the parks randomly. You've got to move them along. And, and you've got you to keep on, you, you can encourage them to get jobs. You can, you can invite 501c3 charities to get them dressed up, to get them recruited and such like that. That's where the money should have gone. Yeah, you can have uh, mental health professionals do symposiums at the different farmers markets, say, you know, come get a mental health screening. We'll see if we can get you placed in a sanitarium somewhere. Right. Get yourself straightened out off drugs. There's a, there's a lot that can be done. Yeah, a lot. Yeah, there's a lot. But, but th- that's a variety. It's, it's a all-of-the-above approach that might have worked, but instead this crazy mayor, well, let's just say naive mayor, uh, focused on something that was so inherently stupid. I mean, it was just clearly going to invite more homeless. Um, okay. And, and no matter how much you argued with him, that was the only possible solution right. in the streetlight, nothing else. Right. And it was also an example from before. It was a solution of, of scarcity, not abundance. Right. Oh, that's a good, good point. And again, it's always the government doing something and imposing yeah. it. So uh, now the next one, of course, that, I, that I've written down at least is racism, right? Affirmative action. Um, is the only solution, right? When when dealing with racism to the extent that it exists anymore, and we talked about this before, in the early 60s, it, racism, it was not as rampant as people like to pretend it was, as if somehow here comes the Civil Rights Act of 1964, and don't you know, everything changed after that. Thank goodness for that act, because, but for that, you know, the reason why you and I are not racist anymore is because the Civil Rights Act told us not to be racist, Right? That, that's the reason why. It's so stupid. Like, people really believe that this 1964 act changed everything, right? <laughs> so, um, and, and, and the whole notion of affirmative action kind of started at the same time. And, and never mind that it actually promotes more racism, affirmative action, right? It's, but they, they keep on feeding this monster. Again, just like the man continuing to circle the streetlight over and over again, looking for the same, looking for the keys, we, we continue to think that affirmative action is going to somehow ennoble uh, everyone, and 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 suddenly we're going to eradicate racism altogether. All of it, it's terrible. Even the laws that that say that you're that you should be prohibited from discriminating or firing somebody on the grounds of his race, even that should be out, out. How can you say that, Mr. Lurie? That that seems uh, very uh, dangerous. That that would actually, you know, people would be firing people because they're black all the time. Well, to which I say, well, they wouldn't be hiring them either, would they? Right? I mean, I never understood that. You, you get fired for being black, but but you were hired bec- while you were black too, right? I mean, presumably you were always black, or Mexican, or whatever it might be. But you make these laws that that tell the employer that if you fire somebody because he's black or a minority of any kind or a woman or, or the, you know, a certain age, well, then you, you can be sued. So what do you think the employer is going to do? What are, you, what are you encouraging the employer to do? Never hire them in the first place. Yes, exactly right. That breeds more racism. It's just, it's just so palpably stupid. So instead of making laws based upon race... They should be eradicating all of them and, and, and encouraging and letting competition be the answer. Once again, like you said, it's always the answer. And competition is truly colorblind. I don't give a rat's ass. I think I can say that on the podcast, right? That's your I, podcast. Yeah, I know. But still, I don't give a rat's ass what color you are, whether you have a penis, how old you are for that matter, what your religious views are. Uh, I don't care about anything 
except uh, maybe if you if you, if you have a criminal record. Okay, but that but that that affects your job. But you're flexible on that. In that, if someone you interview showed incredible skill sets, oh yeah, and aced the Budweiser test, even with a couple violent convictions, you might consider it by going. You know what? They're really good. That's right. You know. Oh, yeah, the, it's you know amazing what? how quality of individual takes care of a lot of detrimental. You know, that's a, that's a good point. There's a gentleman that I know who um, was a, a felon. It was a you know a, a white collar crime. But nevertheless, he was a felon, and he's totally rehabilitated his life. He's doing fantastically well. I trust this man like nobody's business. He's a completely re, you know, rejuvenated man. I would hire him in a second. I mean, he, he's not a lawyer. He doesn't work in the legal field, but he's an incredible man. Anyway, let's, let's move on. The point is that um, the, I just don't care about any of those, those, those things. Those, the thing, I just care, are you good? Are you creative? And do I like hanging out with you? That's all. I, I, just, I don't care about anything else. Yeah, most employers, it's amazing. All they want is the job to get done by someone who has a personality that is not terribly offensive. Right. <laughs> That's usually it. Yeah, and, and frankly, I don't even need a personality. You know, <laughs> if, if, if you choose to just kind of bury your head in, in the books and, and, get, and you get the job done and you get it effectively and you, and you say, hey, boss, I found another way to cut costs. And, and uh, uh, okay, Mary, great, uh, let's go for it. And, you know, you just, the bottom line is getting really good and, and um, you know, new clients are coming in, or whatever it is that that affects your bottom line. Well, what do I care? I mean, I just I never understood that. So, what was happening in America up through the '60s? It was, you know, people make it seem as if how racism was was always rampant, and it was just like, and it was binary, wildly racist. And now we're just kind of climbing out of it <clears throat> because of the Great Civil Rights Act of 1964. Yeah, it's 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 simply a falsity. While it was not perfect by any stretch, the, the fact is that racism was less and less every year, and then, of course, every decade and such, to the point that by, by the mid-60s, racism, while no doubt it was still there to some extent, was not a really viable force. And, uh, but, but no worries. We'll still continue to f- force it down uh, everyone's throat through affirmative action and other race-based laws. All right, let's move to the next thing. Uh, which is uh, teachers' unions. Okay, now teachers' unions is my favorite example because it, it's so emblematic of this streetlight thinking. Okay, oh, it's, it, it, where do I begin? Right? <laughs> yeah. Uh, if, if you if if you didn't love the affirmative action we just talked about, where you can't fire someone for being a lousy employee, this is that on steroids. Yeah, exactly right. <laughs> oh man. So let me get this straight, <laughs> right? <laughs> Public schools have been around and failing worse and worse every year for what? For a, decades, a good, 40 a good 50 years. Yeah, good, let's say 50, I think 50 years. It's yeah. really been horrible uh, since the mid-60s. And then they, 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 they unionized and, and the unions got even stronger. And then they got the tenure system for, for high school teachers, can, if you can believe it or not. And then they, they, they don't allow people to move from one public school to the other. The students, you mean? The students, yeah. Yeah. And, uh, and we see time and time again. I mean, it's a little bit of a bad example because we actually do know the answers. We do know that school choice works wherever it is employed. It has always improved a lot of the students. Always. We do know that where charter schools are employed, that, that always does better than not having charter schools. It's, it, it, it's um, choice, generally speaking, works. And choice is syn- synonymous with the word we call competition. 
the ability to choose among the different schools. And, and, and this notion, the searchlight, sorry, the streetlight thinking is we got to pay the teachers more. I think you said this offline very well, Ari. Let's pay them more. Oh, that's not working. Let's pay them more. Let's pay them more. And again, the, the, it's, it's the man searching for the answers just at the streetlight when, when the answers are nowhere close to the, to the streetlight. They are far beyond. You, but you have, to, you have to work at it and have to look at these answers. The good news is that your first go-to place is competition. That's where the standard should be. Everything should flow from there. Now, somebody will listening to this will say, oh, come on, you have so much faith in, 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 in your fellow man to, to deliver the right goods and to always be honest uh, and to never cheat uh, the, their fellow man. Look, the answer is, I believe in competition, generally speaking. I think the, the, you will find some renegades here and there. You'll find some people who engage in fraud. There are laws against that. You don't need regulations. You need the natural law. The natural law will take care of that. Your notion of somehow imposing a regulatory scheme every time you want to avoid a certain problem or uh, make sure that water, for example, is, is available to the most number of people, it, it, it never works, and it never has worked. So... Yes, there will always be some bad apples, but you deal with them one at a time, and that is harder work. You, you, my friends, my liberal friends, you take the easy approach, which is that government is always the answer. But when you do that, you are no different, no different than that man searching for his keys over and over again at the streetlight. And we laugh at him. And my liberal friends, that's exactly who you are. All right, when we get back, we'll talk more about this and other topics. I'm Brock Lurie. Don't go away. We'll be right back. Dennis Prager here. If you have a business or real estate dispute, I strongly recommend that you call Barack Lurie. Barack, you had a case involving a $220,000 promissory note and you won a trial, but later discovered that the defendant had transferred all his assets. Dennis, when judgment debtors don't want to pay, they may shift assets over to their relatives, asking them to hold them till the coast is clear. How did you get the payment? The defendant had transferred title to two commercial buildings. We convinced them to admit it was an illegal transfer. That led to a great settlement with guarantees from relatives with penalties. And don't you know, they're making payments every month on time like clockwork. I'll say another success. I trust Barack Lurie with my own legalities. Call him at 866-575-8111. That's 866-575-8111. Fighting for what's right, Barack Lurie at Lurie and Seltzer. 866-575-8111. And now listen to the Barack Lurie Show Sunday mornings at 10 a.m. here on AM 870, The Answer. for tuning back in. Uh, one of the themes that we often talk about on this show, as you know, is about freedom and our love and embrace of freedom. In fact, it's gotten to the point where, Ari, you and I feel that freedom is, is an essential quality of human nature. Fair enough? Yes. Right? I mean, and, and we've even, uh, you know, wondered aloud uh, about 
you know, the, the exquisite need of freedom for everybody, and, and why, right? We, it, it, we, we beheld it in the same way that we look at a sunset and say, wow, that's really beautiful. We don't know why we're so attracted to the sunset. You know, animals are not, you know, but we are. We humans are. We, we see that beauty, and for some reason it's important to us. And likewise, we behold freedom and say, wow, that's, that's really important to us. But we rarely ask the question, why? Why is it important to us? What's the essential need for freedom at all? I mean, animals certainly don't need freedom. Um, you know, they don't want to be cooped up in the point where they can't actually move their bodies, but that's a different kind of um, uh, incarceration. It's a different kind of lack of freedom. But I'm talking about the freedom of what to say, freedom of what to think, freedom of what to do, freedom of, of whom to associate with, and so on. And, and you brought up this point uh, offline all right, and I, I really wanted to explore this because I thought it was such a good point, which is, it's more of a question. What, what society has ever thrived that didn't celebrate, as its first order of business, freedom, right? Or protect as its first order Pro- of protect, business. Good point. Protect. Protect, but also encourage. Yeah. So both of those things, really. So I'm glad that we clarified that. And the answer is that no society... If you, if you look at it deeply, no society has, has not only not thrived, but has not survived without encouraging and protecting freedom. Okay, so uh, now this, this may seem, uh, the response to this might be, well, come on, Barack and Ari. You know, the, the reality is that empires come and go. That's the way it's always been in history. And, and that's true. Empires have always come and gone. Countries and you know have increased in stature and power over the years, and then they, they've waned. But, but that doesn't necessarily mean that our comment is, is incorrect. And also, I think our comment is proved by that point, because invariably in history, the moment of waning begins when freedom stops being enshrined as an important value. B-I-N-G-O was his name-o. Exactly right. <clears throat> you have to celebrate freedom in every way. It has to be your first order of business. You know, like Star Trek, they say the first order, the first uh, imperative, prime directive, prime directive yeah. is not to interfere with alien lives, which I think is a silly prime directive. I think the prime directive is freedom, <laughs> but that's okay. Our prime directive, at least good for today, is freedom and the celebration of freedom and the protection, like we said. But too many times in the past, every culture that has not celebrated has has fallen apart. And even biblically, uh, for the Jews, uh, in their kingdoms and the reigns that they had, every time they fell was precisely because they did not celebrate freedom as God wanted us to, to celebrate them. Yeah, it goes back to the story of the golden calf. Yeah. In fact, it goes, there's stories before that, but the golden calf is a prime example. The, they're liberated in the Exodus. They have their freedom. They're about to get their law codifying their freedom, and they slip back into tyrannical decadence in mere days. Yeah, and, and, and celebrate paganism instead. They, they are, they're willingly giving up their freedom, right? Yeah. And so that you know, hurts them in the end, of course. But it's not just that. It's also, uh, if you look at the... Um, uh, oh, gosh, I'm forgetting my Bible now. But nevertheless, if you look at... Uh, not just King David was a good king. Solomon was an, an adequate king. And then... Um, his son was not Saul. such a great. Saul, uh, Saul was the first king. So, 
Um, but every time they failed to follow God's law, which was which you could see as God's pushing of freedom, that's when we that's when we fell apart, and we didn't uh, we didn't celebrate freedom in the way that God required us. So that that's when we lost to Babylonian exile. That's when the the, the second the second temple was also destroyed under uh, Herod. Yeah, yeah, under Herod. So when we turn away from God, um, which is a turning away from what God wants of us, which is freedom, that's when things fall apart. And likewise, you know, taking now now step away from Israel and, and the Jews, uh, any time that there has been a culture which has enslaved people, um, has pushed for dictatorial rule, the only thing that could possibly meet that is a quest for freedom because it's a natural desire of all men. And so any dictator, his days are numbered by definition because there's no way that they continue on this way by constantly suppressing people generation after generation after generation. No one's going to continue taking it in the shorts like that by a, a willingly being led to, to slavery. Yeah, and, and when you see dictatorships, two prime examples that you see today, Iran and North Korea, right. people will say, yeah, but they've been around forever. And I, my response is forever. 50, 60 years in the case of Korea right. yeah. is not forever. 30 years in the case of Iran is Absolutely. not forever. Give it 500 years and see if it lasts. Yeah, exactly. Well, it certainly won't last. And by, won't. The way, by the way, communism only lasted 70 years. We, yeah. you know, it, was all, it seemed like a long time to us because we were born into a world of the Cold War, and it, that's all we knew until it collapsed. Yeah, when 1917 I, when I, and 1991, that's gone. Right. Yeah. It's, it was a flash. Right. From a relative point of view, it was, it was really quite gone. And, and think of it from the perspective of what the people want in a democracy on the one hand versus a dictatorship on the other hand. We, uh, in, a dicta- sorry, in, a, in a dictatorship, the family wants the end of the dictatorship. They hope that the dictatorship dies, right, and that a great day will come when people will be able to be free. Nobody wants the dictatorship to perpetuate itself, certainly not in North Korea and certainly not in Iran, to use your examples. <clears throat> Um, they may want, uh, let's say, a dictatorship like King Hussein of Jordan, but only because th- any other dictator would be far worse than him. Yeah, and I'd, I'd classify that more as just a monarchy, not necessarily it's a, a dictatorship. It is a dictatorship. It, it, it is, is, but compared to some of the other uh, guys in the neighborhood. Well, that's what I'm saying, compared. compared. Yeah. No, he, make no mistake. A monarchy like King Hussein, he's not a good man. He, he has a brutal secret police, just like everybody, everybody else. It's a question of degree. That's all. And um, and and they, you know, those in his in his uh, territory simply, you know, they, they want him in only because the alternative is just far worse. But it's but they certainly pray for a better day, a better day of freedom. That's what they would actually prefer. That's instinctive. Whereas in in America, what you and I pray for is the continuation of the founding fathers' vision, which is con- perpetual freedom. And we want that same freedom for our children and for their children and so on. We don't want to ever change. The only thing that we, we, we expect to change is technology and new inventions and things like that. That's all. That's really all we expect. And we're, we're jiggy with that, as they say. And there'll be new kind of words in the language. We, we expect that. But in terms of actually changing our system of government, at least you and I, we have no desire for that. We fear that. So in a dictatorship, to, to make it simple, 
um, sorry, in a, in a democracy, we fear the government changing from what it is. And in a dictatorship, they fear the government for, for, for staying for what it is. How about that? Yeah. Okay. So we see time and time again a government's collapsing, um, and it's always for the same reason, because they did not embrace freedom, they didn't nurture freedom, they didn't protect freedom. Or they fought freedom and suppressed freedom. There you go. They did exactly the opposite of all those things, and it's inevitable that it has to fall. Has to. Now, and, and the reason for that is that freedom is necessary for our very existence. It's the core part of our being. Whether you realize it or not, you, you may manifest it in some different way, some kind of crazy way, but nevertheless, freedom is at the core of your human essence. You, you, God wants you to be free, free, free. And, he, and, he, and the reason why is he wants you to find him. There's, whether it's through science, through logic, through art, through literature, one way or the other, he expects you to find him. Use your freedom and use it wisely. Okay? It's not just the freedom to, to have as much sex as you like or to use a lot of drugs or to shout in the streets or dance in the streets for that matter or see as many movies as you like or eat as much junk food as you like. That's not the freedom that the founding fathers perceived. That the freedom that they perceived and that you and I believe in is to elevate, to, to seek God out. That's ultimately why you would die for it, right? But you wouldn't die for the right to eat as much junk food as possible, right? Or to have as much sex as possible. Well, maybe, maybe, maybe that would be okay, Mahari. <laughs> if it's with your wife. See, there you go. That's right. In fact, there you go. I think that's what God was encouraging. Yeah. All oh, right. Well, right. now you made me feel a little silly, but okay. <laughs> yes. But, but uh, you, you don't die for the right to see as many movies as possible. That would, that would seem stupid if I said that, right? Well, I, I think the point that you're getting in is that what freedom is, is the freedom to live your life constructively in the way you see fit. So you can extract the maximum amount of pleasure for yourself while not infringing on other people's freedoms. Well, no, I, I, I disagree with that because I'm saying something very different. But you don't think the pleasure of, say, having a wonderful children, of seeing them grow up, of, um, you know, no. of being able to seek uh, industry and employment from, or employment and industry of your choosing? No, I don't think so. I, I, my whole point is that I perceive freedom, the freedom that we will die for, as the freedom to seek out God. That's my point. And, and you say, yeah, of course I want happiness from my children, but I want them to also seek out God. Every generation needs to seek out God yet, yet further and further. And, and that's where true happiness comes in at the end of the day. And I think that's part of the reason why in the, in the Founding Fathers uh, documents, the, 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 the pursuit of um, life, liberty, and the pursuit of happiness, right? That's happiness is there. What kind of happiness? What, what are we talking about? The happiness of, of having a lot of orgasms? I don't think that's what they meant. Uh, the happen, happiness of eating as much junk food as you like? I don't think that either. I think it's something else to find far deeper meaning. And when you play with that, when you minimize that freedom, that the truly deep freedom that people really do need and, and expect to have, um, that's, that's when governments fall apart. Yeah. And isn't it interesting how the idea, in, in a certain sense, freedom is uncertainty. In other words, the, the people who lived in any dictatorship, whether it was the Soviet Union or 
today, North Korea, they know exactly what tomorrow is going to be. Yeah. They have Ooh, it's that's a good absolutely point. guaranteed. And if the Israelites who followed the path of Exodus out of Egypt then worship the golden calf and Moses did not come down from the mountain and smash it and break apart the dictatorship that they uh, built upon hedonism in that at the base of Mount Sinai. Uh, what they essentially built was a, a uh, entrenched hierarchical uh, society in which everyone knew their place, master and servant within yeah. the cycle of decadence. <clears throat> right. Freedom, by definition, means uncertainty. And so often, to bring it to the modern political, it's our liberal friends who want to erase all uncertainty. Oh, so that's a really brilliant, astute point, Ari. I, I so agree with that. And to, to underscore your point just now, when the Founding Fathers created the founding documents and celebrated the checks and balances and everything else, they wanted um, growth, whereas a dictatorship wants exactly the opposite. They want each day to be the same as the next. Yeah. Right? It's, it's no different. And imagine the bravery of a leadership that says, we, ex- we want you to grow. We want you to thrive. In fact, we want our government to be as limited as possible and only so much as necessary simply to protect you uh, in the context of laws against each other, or laws in, to support each other. That's it. What, what, a, what a novel approach. And truly, it was... I remember seeing this one program, and I, I like the way they, they said it so much. Um, when they talked about the American Revolution, the men realized in the middle of the war that it was the first war of its kind. And you say, well, what do you mean? There's, there have been revolutions before then. Yes, that's true. But it was the first revolution fought for an idea, and that idea was freedom. Yeah, rather than for a king. For a king, for, a for land, or whatever it might yeah. be, yeah. This was the first idea, and they, and to that, it invoked a sense of great uh, energy and, and push for that freedom. And I, and I think, because we started off by saying, you know, all the previous, you know, um, cultures of, of old, how they all fell apart at the end of the day. And it may, it may be, that so long as we maintain and be vigilant with, for our freedom, of course, that we can, we can continue on forever. There's no reason for us not to continue on forever, so long as we remember what our mission is, the prime directive, as we talked about before. And that prime directive is freedom. If you don't have it, bye-bye. You don't deserve your strength, your empire, your, your cultural significance. If your you, blessing. Your blessings, yeah. un- unless you embrace freedom, unless you protect freedom. Right. Okay? Every time, I was thinking earlier today, these dangerous times that we're entering, especially with the death of Scalia, and yeah. because I'm very worried about the, Fourth, uh, the Second Amendment, because as a Jew, if for some reason uh, the... City fathers of Los Angeles decided to outlaw gun ownership, and I had to. I would have to move away, because I'm not going to be a Jew and be disarmed. I'm not going to be a Jew and be unarmed. Delve delve into how that works with freedom. Well, uh, well, my my point about this is, um, I I'm vigilant about these current events. I'm fighting for these these this what's happening in this day and age, and. 
part of freedom is being having the freedom and right to protect yourself and defend yourself. And Judge Andrew Napolitano of Fox News said, it's so brilliant about the Second Amendment. He said, the Second Amendment doesn't give you the right to shoot a deer or to hunt. It gives you the right to shoot your government when your government tries to do terrible things to you. Right. It's the ultimate check and balance, right? Right. I mean, we, our whole Constitution is based upon checks and balances, including the check of the very population against the government, which is supposed to be limited, right, when it gets too big or too dangerous or too corrupt or too uh, enslaving for that matter. You have the right, and then that's what the Second Amendment is saying, to stand up and to say, no, I, I disagree. Th- that's the essence of the American Constitution. Yeah. Yeah. It's, uh, I, I love that. And this is the point that I think both of us are getting to, which is we can have this freedom forever if we, if we choose to keep it. So long as we choose to keep it, just like the uh, Israelites, the Jews during the the days of the kings, um, so long as they honored God's will, which was, again, freedom, that's the number one thing he wants of us. So long as we honored that, then we survived and thrived. Yeah, and and that's what I I wanted to make the point of what I was thinking of is we as Jews we always hear the story the the enemies of us always rise up every generation, and I was looking at this long scope of history and going, now, I I don't mean this to sound in any way that we're blaming ourselves for what our oppressors with our Nazis or college campus and Muslims do to us. That's not the point of us, this. But you can see in the arc of history when. People who have freedom fail to protect it, fail to nurture it, fail to, if you will, fertilize and water the tree of That's freedom. Right. Mm-hmm. Bad stuff happens, and part and parcel of that is forgetting God. Yeah, that's right. Well, without God, there is no freedom. Right. I mean, that's 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 a that's a axiomatic uh, mathematical formula, if you like. Just like E equals M C squared, you know. You wouldn't necessarily know how, how you get there, right? But it was a derived formula, right? E equals MC squared. And just like that, I can say there is no freedom without God. I can explain that all day long, but we're not, that's not the purpose of this podcast. The bottom line, just like E equals MC squared, that freedom means nothing without God. And God gives you freedom, period. Thank you very much for coming. And if we don't embrace that, we lose everything. And it's so easy to lose it. And this is the point of, of everything we're talking about. And every uh, generation, whether it's Jews or otherwise, that, that s- fails to recognize the, the value of freedom itself and what freedom means, they will collapse. It's as if, you know, it's a little bit like Groundhog Day, right? The movie, right? If you've seen that movie, which I, I like so much, the guy... The Bill Murray character keeps on trying to get do the same thing until he finally gets it right. That's the whole point. As if, as if there's some sort of collective unconsciousness trying to nudge him a little bit to finally figure out what the right answer is. And it, he's not. The, the collective unconsciousness, maybe God, is basically telling him, "I'm not letting you go to February 3rd until you get it right on February 2nd." Right. And he keeps on making these mistakes. It's a very funny movie. And then at some point he realizes that he can die all the time and he just he does it for fun. But eventually he gets it and he does the right thing. He treats this one woman in a very respectful way. And then he's allowed to move to February 3rd. And I think to some extent that's what it's like with all these empires and, and cultures that, that kind of take over and, and they fail. It's like, nope, nope, you constantly squander the freedom thing. You constantly don't listen to my law. 
Fine, you collapse, you collapse, you collapse. I, I was hoping that you might find me eventually. I, I'm sure he, he felt that, he, that the Greeks might find him at some point. They were going in a, in, a, in a decent direction with all the logic and everything else. But don't you know, they were raping little boys too. Don't like that. <laughs> Greek culture collapses. Likewise with the Roman Empire, same thing. And they were a republic. They become a dictatorship with Caesars and such and emperors, and at the end of the day, they collapse as well. Just always descending into um, the, the, the easy way out, which is not exploring what freedom really means, not understanding why they're even on the planet in the first place. So just like Groundhog Day, they keep failing, keep on failing. And, and part of it is they, they're obsessed and they believe uh, that they're all powerful. Uh, what's that great line? Uh, Wisdom begins with the fear of God. You yeah. and I understand. Uh, I was uh, walking on the beach with my daughter, and big waves came, and I said to her, rule number one, never fight the ocean. It always wins. Right. Always. Go with it. Let it move you. Okay? Right. It, within reason. You don't want it to suck you out to right, sea. Yeah. But if you fight it, you lose. Same with God. The reason wisdom begins with the fear of God is because we know, don't fight him. Right. He will beat you. Right. No matter what. Right. And the harder you fight, the worse he'll be. That's what these dictators are all doing. They're all trying to assume that they're all so powerful that they have the power to defeat God, and they never do and never will. God right. is eternal and all-powerful. Right. The only way to win with God is respect and love. Right. And then you have a chance. If you respect and love God, you'll respect and love his creations and want his creations to live in freedom. Yeah. It really is amazing how, at the end of the day, I, I see you know, God's plan working. And, I, and, and maybe uh, in another episode, I want to talk about the Torah. And, and not from a, I'm not going to look at the phrases and such, but I want to talk about really interesting idiosyncrasies of, of the Bible, which really show us that we have to embrace it and we have to really love the freedom that it, it's demanding of us. Um, but anyway, I, I, I love this, this conversation because, and you said it before, every country is like a, a plant or whatever it is, a rose if you like. Uh, if, think of it more like an oak tree. Or a, you know one of those big more like a dandelion, but <laughs> well, they last. They don't last very long, right? <laughs> right. An oak tree, uh, or you know the big redwood tree. How about okay. that? They they last for a thousand years or whatever. Yeah. And you know you could plant it, and you could hope that you know it might rain from time to time, and and sure enough, it's it's growing. Hey, it just happens to be that there's enough rain that particular season. But you know what? It's, um, you need to fertilize it, like you said, and you need to put more water. You have to take care of it. And if you don't take care of it and expect uh, everything to just kind of take care of itself, you're probably going to, that, that oak tree will probably die, especially if there's not enough light and all those things. So you want to take care of it, especially in, in the artificial sense of government and all those things, right, in, in, inside a house. You've got to do it the right way. It, it will die without water. It will die without the appropriate nourishment, including fertilizer and uh, sunlight. And th that's basic, right? And yet, when it comes to understanding why we're here and what appropriate system of government there is, people just end up doing the same thing over and over again. They, they, they try these old things that just never have worked and never will work, whether that's socialism or communism or fascism or some 
other tweaking of some sort of dictatorship, a, a command and control society, never respecting the freedom that is essential. That it's, it's as if you just don't bother to understand what actually works. Freedom is the, es the essence of who we are and the only thing that can make it work, ever. So we're so surprised, so very surprised when these, these empires collapse, come and go, come and go, and then we think it's inevitable. But that's not true. That's not, not true at all. I mean, for example, uh, people used to think that slavery as an institution was inevitable. It was always the way it should be, right? It, uh, that's what they used to say. And then, uh, you know, with the Civil War, that was really the end of sla slavery, at least legal slavery, throughout the world. Yes, there, there are people who are being falsely imprisoned and enslaved in different ways, but not as an institution. Yeah, they, I believe um, England banned slavery a little before America. It did. Mm -hmm. And really, I, and you know, we so often look at our history statically, right. as you love to say, mm -hmm. and we think slavery ended with Lincoln in 1865 and all. No, it really ended with the Constitution and the framers good. because good they set up the system in which it could be destroyed. Right. They didn't, it, yeah. America is so often criticized because yeah, I love how the left always holds us to standard. Well, you, you weren't perfect, so you're worthless. Right. No, they did the best they could in 1776, and they finished the job in... 1865, 1865 yeah. about 90 years later. Right. What about a little bit of a thank you? <laughs> exactly right. Well, not only that, but the, the Constitution set itself upon a collision course with slavery, to, to kind of uh, modify yes. your, your statement. And, and, and so brilliantly did it do so, because as Martin Luther King, you know, the reason why Martin Luther King succeeded so well is because he actually quoted the Constitution and the Declaration of Independence, the very language of our founding foundation, uh, to, to support civil rights. So, and of course, the, any notion of a, a dichotomy between any, any people of different color. And he was right, of course. But likewise, the Constitution was on a collision course with slavery itself. But anyway, the, it, the, what people perceived to be inevitability uh, was just, just darn wrong, right, when it came to slavery. People, if you were to ask a person 500 years ago, way before the end of the Civil War, um, you know, will we, will we always have slavery? They would say, of course, slavery is a natural process. And they would say, these people need to be slaves and we, need, we, the other people, need to control them. We need to be the slaveholders. Yeah, the system works. The system it's works. That's, that's the way they perceive the world. And it's, it's really a fascinating thing because now we know that it's, no long, it's, it's not true, that slavery is in, inherently evil. We, we understand that. And so... It's, it's not practiced institutionally anywhere in the world. No, everywhere like, like, it's practiced around the world, it's practiced in a way that hides it. From yeah, the exactly right. World. Exactly. It's criminally done. Okay. Yes. It's, like, it's like, so anyway. Um, but so, so why can't we say the same thing about freedom, about cultures that embrace freedom? There is no reason that we can't have this perpetual uh, state of success in, in our country. Um, America to constantly thrive with freedom. And the, the challenge is to make sure that other countries enjoy the freedoms that we enjoy. That's the real challenge. There's no reason for us to collapse. It's not as if we're, we're seeking more land and, and more conquest. I mean, a lot on the liberal side will claim that we, that we are, but, but they really have very little to back I'm it up. I'm still waiting to see, based on that point, for, uh, to go back to uh, August 
1945 and see all the other nuclear bombs who dropped on all the bad countries yes, around exactly the world right. and took all their torture. Uh, yeah. Still wondering why that never happened. <laughs> Good point. So, but we we embrace that freedom and and we, we don't want anything more. It's, I mean, you see, it, it's correct to say that these empires collapse of their own weight because. Um, they spend too much on their armies and they spread themselves too thin and then there's a moral decay that goes along with it and they don't even understand why they're even in the, the various places and they're constantly at war with, with these enemies outside. Yeah, then they collapse. That makes sense. At some point, they can't withstand it anymore. There's too little money and there's not enough willpower. Okay, I got it. But with freedom, it's a completely different equation. You don't, please don't insult my country, America, by putting it in the same category as Rome or Greece or the Soviet Union, for that matter, or, or um, uh, the Ottoman Empire or the Carthaginians or any other empire that ever existed. They're just not the same. We're not an empire in that way. Yes, we are influ- influential, absolutely, but not in the same way. Not no. by power, but by by great ideas. By example. By example. Okay. All, Even all, better yet. Uh, you know, they say to the Jews, let me be a light unto nations. And America is the same thing. All we want from a foreign policy standpoint, uh, this is my goal, and I believe the true constitutionalists want this, and those who are truly in touch with the, the biblical intention, intention want this. All we want is for other people around the world and in aggregate their nations to look at America and Israel and go, I want that for me. Yeah. What are they doing? Oh, freedom? Let's do it. Right. Done. Yeah. And then you have Hong Kong and Taiwan and, you know, these other nations that have gone that route, South Korea, and they flourished. Right. And then you see the Iran, the Iranians or the North Koreans, and they're failing. Right. And you think all we want is them to go, you know what? 30 years is enough. Six years is enough. Let's change this. Yeah. That's they, all we want. They, they crave the freedom. Uh, the people do, at least. Right. But the dictators don't uh, allow them to do that. And understandably so, because they know that it'll be the end of their reign, of course. Ironically, but, the dictators, if they did that, would live better than they do now. Provided yeah. they survive the Ceausescuing. <laughs> yeah, that's right. The Ceausescu. <laughs> my favorite dictator of all time. Right. Uh, I mean, he was, was so out of touch with reality. But he was such a great example of what we talked about before. Look, you know, um, we love freedom. And uh, freedom is everything. And it's just, we, we want, in the same way that the, the soldiers who fought in the American Revolution realized in the middle of the revolution, their revolution was the first of its kind. It was the first time, as I said, that they were fighting for an idea. In that same way, we are indeed living in a very unique time. We, we must understand that America itself is a unique entity. It's not an empire in the same way, like we just talked about. It's, it's an idea. It's a, it's a culture. It's a way of living. It's a way of embracing God. And that makes it different from every single empire or country before it. And, at the, at, and what we're hoping for and what we expect to have in the future is that every country embraces what America has had to offer, which is a love of liberty and an encouragement of liberty and protection of liberty. When that day comes... When, when other countries realize that that is really our main mission, then truly we'll have the, 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 the heaven on earth that the liberals so love to claim to want. But that is the way to do, my friends. Not by more government, but by more freedom, protected by the government. 
I'm Brock Lurie. Thanks so much for listening. We'll talk with you real soon. Do